Tonight's scripture reading is going to be from Ephesians 6, verses 5 through 9. And if you don't have a Bible with you, there are some in the center of the aisles. I'm sure someone would love to pass one to you. And if you don't have a Bible and would like one, please take this one home. Um, We'd love for you to have it. So we're going to Ephesians 6 again, verses 5 through 9. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ. Not by the way of eye service, as people pleasers, but as servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. Masters, do the same to them, and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and that there is no partiality with him. This is the word of the Lord. Is that better? That's really loud. Okay, back to what I was saying. I hope you guys had a good Thanksgiving. Um, Megan and I traveled to Sulphur Springs, Texas to visit her family, which, as you would expect, was amazing. Um, Actually, on Friday, I I wanted to go get some work done, work on the sermon, and uh, so I was going to try to find a coffee shop, and ended up having to drive about 35 miles to the nearest coffee shop, so... Um, there's not much there, and Megan and I pretty much spent the whole four days doing absolutely nothing. We watched, I probably watched ten football games, a couple NBA games, a couple movies, and um, it, so it was, you know, a great Thanksgiving. Um, it's funny, though, Megan and I, we realized, uh, we, we were talking last night as we were getting home, um, as we were flying in, that four days of doing absolutely nothing was, was significantly more tiring than four days of normal life. And I don't know why, but laying around made us both really tired. Um, so anyway, I'm glad to be back. I'm glad to be here um, and looking at Ephesians with you guys. Uh, I've really enjoyed our, our study of Ephesians. I hope you guys have as well. Uh, tonight, like Rebecca read, we'll be in uh, chapter 6, verses 5 through 9. Um, last week, we were uh, when, when Brian preached on uh, parents and, and children and, and that relationship and submitting to, to Christ through through our relationship with our, our kids or our parents, if we have kids. And, and Brian, when he started out, he gave us four reasons why, if you're not a parent, um, you still should pay attention and not check out. And so uh, I was thinking about that tonight because we're looking at slaves and masters, which is something else that's a little bit foreign to most of us. And so um, I, want, I don't have four reasons to not check out, but I want to still encourage you guys, even though that, that, that none of us are slaves in here, at least in the way that, that Paul's talking about it, None of us own slaves. Uh, there's still a lot of truth in here uh, that I think that we can uh, take away from this on authority, on, on the way we work, and on the nature of God himself. So let me pray, and then we'll, we'll, we'll jump in here. Hey, Lord, we, we just offer this time up to you right now. Uh, we ask you to speak to us through your word. Uh, I pray that I would communicate clearly. I pray that I would communicate um, your words and not my own. And, and I pray that you would open our eyes to, to see more of you tonight, uh, to understand uh, your gospel more, and to worship you. So pray you be glorified uh, tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. I've got a little bit of an itchy throat, so I'll be taking drinks every once in a while, so sorry. Hmm. Okay. So I want to quickly just recap Ephesians for us. Uh, I think it's really important as we're looking at Specifically, this letter to the Ephesians and, and most of Paul's letters, he generally starts out with a lot of, of meaty stuff, a lot of gospel 
and then you, in the first half of the book or the first half of the, of the letter. And then as we get to chapters, at least in Ephesians 4, 5, and 6, we get to a lot of the to-dos, you could say. Uh, it starts chapter 4 uh, with, um, Paul says, I, prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling of which you have been called. And then so he starts to give us ways to walk in according to the gospel, which he's just told us. And I want to remind everyone that uh, this letter, written by Paul to the church at, church at Ephesus, uh, was intended, or it, just as a fact, it was read typically in one setting. And so when the Ephesians got this letter, they opened it up, um, probably gathered, um, gathering maybe a lot like this, and read the whole letter all, all in one setting. And then as it was distributed, it was probably done, done the same. And so for these people, for the Ephesians, when they got to chapters 4, 5, and 6, and, and they're hearing about how to live, how to do these things, they had just heard uh, the gospel. They just heard this meat of, of what, what Paul is basing all this stuff in. So um, I want us to at least go back and review that before we get into to some of the to-dos that we're going to talk about. And so in chapter 1, we see that God has blessed us. We see that he has redeemed us. He has lavished his grace on us. He has given us an inheritance. He has given us the Holy Spirit. Uh, that when we were God's enemies, before we did anything, uh, that God made us alive together with Christ. So I just want to remember that, that God has given us all these things before we've done anything. So uh, as we're looking at, at how to live, uh, it's easy to get confused and, and kind of revert back to thinking this is what we need to do to earn God's approval. Uh, but it's really important to remember uh, that we have God's approval uh, completely because of Christ, that he has given us all these things before he's even told us how to live. Uh, so if we, uh, the, th- the thing that I think that I tend to do, a lot of, a lot of Christians tend to do, is, is when we're reading a book like this, we read the first couple chapters, love what he's telling us, embrace it, uh, this, this gospel that God's uh, died for, so he's, he's given us all these things um, by, by nothing of, of, of our own doing. And then we get to the last half and start reading the to-dos, and we start, for some reason, reverting back to uh, thinking that we have to earn something before God. Um, and then we either uh, get proud that we're, we're doing these things well, or we beat ourselves up because we're doing them poorly. Um, but if we do that, we're, we're just showing that we, we actually forgot what we read in the first half of this, of this book, or we uh, don't believe it to begin with. So, let's remember what God has done for us. Um, and then if we step back with, in the book of Ephesians, we see the big picture that Paul touches on in, in chapter 1, verses 9 and 10, where he talks about that in the fullness of time, it's the purpose of God to unite everything in Christ. So he's doing this uh, first through, through Christ's defeat and victory over the power of darkness, second, Christ's work in raising us from spiritual death, third, in Christ's reconciliation where there has been alienation. So uh, this bigger view of the gospel that, that like Brian talked about with Advent, that we're waiting for Christ to come back and renew all things. Um, I think that I, I started out as a Christian with a, a fairly narrow view of the gospel, and not an, an accurate view, it was, but it was more of a, that God sent Jesus to save me, which is the, cent, the center of, of, of what we believe, and it's got to be there. But it's a little bit narrow, because God is doing more than just saving me. He's, he's, he's re- redeeming all of creation. Excuse me. And so, Paul is weaving through this book, this story of God, uh, coming to redeem all of creation, making all things new, and uniting all things under the Lordship of Christ. And so it's bigger than just, just you and me. Um, and he talks about how the gospel is basically bringing this new world order, uh, where, where Christ is the Lord and his kingdom is established. Um, and then as he gets into the second half of the book, Paul uses the theme of submission to illustrate how this is being played out in our lives, um, this, this making of all things new. Uh, so it talks about submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. 
And so uh, as the world looks for power and autonomy, um, he calls a Christian, uh, is, a Christian is called to, uh, to seek to be submissive. And so we see that uh, submissive, submissive nature played out in the church as we submit to one another, bearing one another's burdens and um, bearing with one another. We see that uh, submission to Christ, uh, what it looks like in the home, that for a wife, submission to Christ uh, looks like honoring her, her husband and, and following his leadership. Uh, submission to Christ for a husband looks like uh, loving his wife, laying down his life for his wife, sacrificing his dreams and his hopes and his autonomy for his wife. Uh, we see for children, submission to Christ is honoring and obeying their parents. Submission to Christ for parents is raising their children up in the discipline of the Lord uh, and not just taking the easy route to make sure they're well behaved, uh, but, but taking the hard route of, of actually aiming at the hearts of, of kids and training them up in discipline. And then this last section of, of slaves and masters is a little more foreign to us. And so that's where we're going to spend the most of our time. Um, and so uh, before we get into it, I, I want to talk a bit about slavery in the ancient world. Um, I just think it's important to know what, we're going to use the word slave a lot tonight. And so uh, I think it's important to know what we're talking about when we say slave or we say master. So in the ancient world, at least in the time of the Ephesians and in the Roman Empire, um, it's thought that about 35% of all the people of, of the population were slaves. So a huge percentage. And then even in some of the bigger cities, it's up to 50% of the population of the people were slaves, which is crazy to me. Um, some of the things that, that seem different to me as far as what I think about when I think about slavery, some of the things that are a bit different are uh, the slaves could have their own money, they could, they could own property, they could even own other slaves. Um, there were all types of slaves from what I would think of as typical working in fields or working in um, kind of slave-type labor that was there. There was also, uh, there were people that were teachers, artists, doctors, accountants, business managers, typical professions uh, that were act- acting as slaves in those professions. Um, and there was a vast difference in how they were treated. There were, some were treated very poorly, beaten and even killed, and, and the masters basically had the ability to do that. Some were treated basically like employees. They were treated they were treated well. Some were even treated like family. Um, so there was a vast difference there. Sorry. And then um, a couple of the ways that it was very different than, I would say, North American slavery of the 17th, 18th centuries that, that, that we think about uh, when it comes to slavery is that they, they weren't distinguished by race, by color, language, or education. So um, whereas slavery in this country was almost exclusively race-oriented, uh, slavery in, in the days of the Ephesians, it, was, it really had nothing to do with race. Uh, they weren't stolen uh, as, as the, the African slavery uh, was, was in this country. They weren't stolen from their homes, brought here. Uh, it was more of an economic system. And so, uh, I've, this seems weird, but I've heard it uh, related to credit card debt. That There, there wasn't bankruptcy. There wasn't uh, uh, you know, credit cards as we see them now. But people, if, if you incurred a debt you, and couldn't pay it, you'd you had to pay it with, with service, and so you would have to go into slavery to pay your debt. People even sold themselves into debt to provide for themselves. Um, so, and it also, it wasn't indefinite, so you could work off your debt, and then you'd be free. You could pay off your debt if you were able to, to make the money elsewhere. And so, um, when I first read this, the question, the first question that popped into my head was, uh, why didn't Paul just condemn slavery? Um, and so, uh, so the, the first, I think the first thing that I had to realize about, about what, I was, what I was asking is I was assuming something. I was assuming that slavery in and of itself is wrong. And, I, I mean, I still kind of think that. It's, it's, it's just in there. Um, 
But the hard truth that I had to realize was that I don't know that the Bible tells us uh, that slavery in and of itself is wrong. We see that the race-based, the stealing people uh, type of slavery that we've experienced in this country is wrong, and the Bible clearly condemns that type of slavery. Um, but I was doing something really dangerous, and I'm not going to talk too much about this because I don't think this is the point of the text. Um, but I think it's really dangerous for us to come to the Bible, to come to the, to this, the Word of God, uh, and place our own morality on top of it. I think that's what the world typically does, and I think it's a dangerous thing, and so I want to be, be careful for us uh, to do that. But coming from a different angle of why, why Paul didn't con- just condemn the, the injustices of slavery, so even if this was different than what we've experienced or what a country's experienced uh, with slavery, um, I asked the question, why, why isn't Paul uh, condemning the injustices of, of that institution? And there are a couple things, a couple reasons why. First um, is that slavery was such a part, like I talked about, the, the huge percentage of the population were, were acting as slaves. It was such a part of the social and economic um, system of, of the Roman Empire that on some level it would have been more of a political and a pastoral thing to address. I think that Paul tends to, he tends to aim at the heart. He tends to want to deal with heart issues with, with, with people. Um, and I think that him addressing slavery, the injustices on, on a big picture, um, would be a bit, of a, a bit of a political play by him, and I don't think that's what Paul did. Um, it's also easy, I think, for, for us as, as people in general to look around at our circumstances and blame our circumstances or, or look to those as, as the problem in our lives as opposed to looking at ourselves. And I think Paul constantly wants to point at our heart and not at the circumstances around us. And... Uh, Something that's great about the gospel that, that I think Paul is always wanting to communicate uh, is that it's, it's able to invade every, any and every social structure um, and bring first personal and then corporate transformation. And so, uh, like I talked about, and like Brian talked about, longing for um, like Advent, longing for Christ to come and, and to renew all things. I think Paul got that. I mean, he's communicating that through Ephesians, that he sees this big picture of the gospel, of God coming, renewing all things, making all things new, not just individuals, um, but but first individuals and then, and then everything else. And so I think it's really important not to, not to flip that around, that as we care, about, uh, we care about this society, we care about this neighborhood we live in, we care about this city, and we want to see it changed by the gospel, that change always happens. Um, biblically, we see that that happens first through individuals being changed. So first, uh, me looking out and seeing the injustices in the world, um, but realizing the problem with the world isn't um, people being killed, people starving, in Africa, the problem is that, that people don't worship Christ, and that personally, I don't worship Christ. That I uh, tend to uh, constantly tend to want to worship anything and everything but Jesus. And so, first, I, I have to believe the gospel, be changed, be transformed by it. And we believe that as that happens, um, and then my family is changed and transformed, and in this community we come together as a people that are transformed, as we are sent out into the city, and then we can actually start seeing transformation. Uh, in this city, in this neighborhood, the city, and in this country, and in the world. Um, so I think Paul cared about big issues of you know, economic and social issues, but I think he understood that that happens, that transformation happens um, from the ground up, kind of on a, a grassroots type level, as opposed from the top down. Let's look back at the text real quick. I'm going to just read it again, get it, get it back on our minds. 
It says, Slaves, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever, whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. Masters do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that, he, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and that there is no partiality with him. So the first thing that stuck out to me when I read this, stuck out to me, was this term fear and trembling. Um, so when I read it, it, what it seemed like it was saying to me was, slaves, obey your earthly masters, fearing them and trembling before them. Which uh, seemed odd to me, because even in this text and in the rest of, of the New Testament, we see um, Paul and other authors uh, constantly encouraging us to not fear man, to, only, to fear God, and, and freeing us from that fear of, of man. And so, in doing a little research, I realized that this term fear and trembling, uh, as, it's used, as it's used in the Bible, uh, describes the, this type of awe and wonder uh, that one would experience in the presence of God. Um, so, so, if we read this again in that light, Slaves, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ. Not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. Um, we see that Paul is... Uh, kind of hitting again and again this idea of actually not fearing man, but of fearing only God. And uh, this, this idea of awe and wonder, I think he's basically telling these slaves to obey the, their masters, knowing that God is there, with this awe and wonder of the fear of God, and knowing that, uh, that God is in their presence. And so, so to work unto him, to obey because of him, and not because uh, of trying to please uh, their earthly masters. <clears throat> And at the end, it talks about masters doing the same. I think basically what he's saying here is, is masters do the same uh, as far as understanding that, that you are in the presence of God. So live in this awe and wonder of God and doing everything unto him, including the way you treat your slaves. And so, as this was written in a specific context, I think it's important to, to understand the context and understand it was actually written to slaves and to masters, uh, but it does have some very clear implications and, and application for us in this day and age, um, even though we don't have slaves and aren't slaves, um, but we do all work. And, and, and I say all of us, and I, and I mean I think everyone in this room works, unless, you, unless every day you do what I did the last four days in Sulphur Springs and just watch TV. Um, but we all have either jobs, work uh, you know, in offices or in restaurants or in retail shops, we work in the home, we, we, we raise children, take care of a home, we're in school, we work there. So there's, we work you know, in different ways, but we're all working on some level. <clears throat> um, and when it comes to work, I think it's important for us to, to look back at the nature of work. So look at when, why God created work. And so I'm going to look at Genesis 2, uh, Genesis chapter 2, 5. You can turn there if you'd like, don't, don't feel like you have to. I'm going to basically paraphrase some stuff. Um, and so, I would tell you to trust me, but that's, whenever you hear a pastor say, trust me, you should probably not trust them. Um, so, trust me. So, in Genesis 2.5, it says, basically says there were no bushes and no plants because of two things. So, as God was creating the world, he's creating everything in the world, it says there weren't bushes yet and there weren't plants uh, for two reasons. The first reason is that the Lord ha- hadn't caused it to rain yet. So that makes sense. And the second reason really stood out to me. It's kind of profound. It said there was no man to work the ground. So God hadn't created trees and, or plants and bushes 
because there, there was no man to take care of it. Um, and then it says, in verse 15, it says, The Lord took man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. So I want to draw out three points uh, from this. And the first is this, that this happened, that God created work. He created man to work in the garden uh, before there was sin, before the fall. So we see this is in chapter 2. Um, sin didn't enter the world until chapter 3 of Genesis. And so, uh, so God created work. He created uh, this, this system where, where man was supposed to work and take care of this garden before there was sin. So uh, the implication of that is that, that work is good. So he did this when all things were good. And so work in and of itself is a good thing. It's good. Um, I'm going to try to keep coming back to that because I think that's really important. I think it's something that we've lost. I don't think we believe uh, work is good. I think we generally believe that work is a necessary evil um, or something that earn a paycheck. And so um, I want to emphasize that the Bible says that work is good. Um, so God created this work uh, basically for man to, to make order out of chaos. To, he gave the raw materials. He was growing this garden up. Um, but he, uh, he wanted man to make order of it. So called him to work. Second implication uh, from this text is that God has chosen to use men and women as his means to accomplish his will in the world, in this, in this instance through work. And so God didn't need to use us necessarily. He created everything. He could just as easily take care of everything. But for whatever reason, he's chosen to use us uh, to take care of this world that he's created. And so as he created, like I said, the garden, he chose to use man. And he, he wasn't willing to create these plants and bushes until he had a man... Uh, to work that and take care of it and keep it. Um, which to me is, again, kind of profound that uh, he, he can do whatever he wants, but he's chosen to use uh, you and I and, and people uh, to maintain and take care of this world that he's created. And the third thing I want to draw out of this is that Adam didn't choose his vocation. He didn't choose his work. Um, that God chose it. God placed Adam in the garden, um, which I think contrasts pretty starkly with most of our view of calling, um, I think that, I know personally and from what I've experienced, most people when they think of what they're called to do as far as work and, and pretty much anything in life, uh, they either over-spiritualize it, they wait on God to, to either audibly tell them what they're called to or to show up in a vision or a dream or give them some kind of sign and they, they, they'll wait and not do anything until they feel like God has told them specifically what they're called to. Or uh, they feel like they have to have a say in it. So it has to be something that they're passionate about. I, I, I'm passionate about, um, about nonprofit work or about helping the poor. So, uh, so my calling has to be oriented towards, towards that in that area. Um, this isn't how it worked with Adam. God created Adam and placed Adam in the garden and, and told him to work it. Um, <laughs> yeah, not that way. <laughs> And so for all of us, uh, I think the implication is that, that God has placed us here in Denver. Um, he has placed you in your job, whatever that may be, or your work, your home, uh, or in your school. He's placed you where you're. He's placed you in this church, at least for tonight. He's placed you in the relationships that, that you're in. And uh, we should be faithful in that and, and understanding that's, understand that's a calling from God. So just like God placed Adam in the garden, told him to, to take care of it, to, um, to work there and to keep it, uh, he has placed us in our current situations. And, and like we see later in chapter 3, God uh, eventually moved Adam out of the garden and, and had him work somewhere else. So it doesn't mean that just because he's called Adam to one place at one time, that's where he's called forever. And so we might not be called here uh, to our current jobs or this, this, even this city or this church forever. 
But for now, he has called us here. And so uh, I want you guys to, to, to kind of let that soak in, that whether you like your job or not, whether you think it's what you're called to or not, whether it's what you're passionate about or not, whether God told you that you should um, work in that place or not, he has placed you there. God, God did it. It wasn't just an accident that you ended up working at Starbucks or that you ended up working at the you know, firm that you work at or wherever. Uh, God placed you there for, for a reason. Uh, first and foremost, it's to glorify him with your work. And so in those workplaces, in those settings, uh, we need to, just like Paul is telling these slaves, to, to understand uh, this, this awe and wonder of God, that God is, is present there and that we should do our work unto him. This word vocation that I've been using a couple times, we use this word vocation for work. And, uh, and I don't know Latin, but my computer does apparently. And it told me that the, Latin word, for, for vo- the, the word vocation came from the Latin word vocare, uh, which, which means to call. And so the word vocation came from this idea of calling. So as we use the, the word vocation, it, it, it means calling. I think we, we typically just use it as work. Um, but the work that we're doing right now I think that it's important to, to understand that God has called us to that. Um, let's look back at the text here. Um, it talks about obeying your authority as you would Christ, as servants of Christ, doing the will of God, rendering service as to the Lord, doing all this, like I, I talked about, in the awe and wonder of the presence of God. So we see Paul pounding here, um, We should do everything we do. We should do uh, everything, including our work, as unto the Lord, uh, or for for the glory of God. So as we're working, we shouldn't um, do that to please our boss. We shouldn't do it for promotion. We shouldn't do it um, even for necessarily, primarily, because it'll give us a ministry opportunity or witness. We should do it uh, because the nature of that work is good, and we should do it unto the Lord. the composer Bach. Uh, I don't know about. I don't know much about Johann Sebastian Bach, um, but I know that he understood the, the the nature of work on some level. In that, w- whenever he would compose um, a piece of music at the bottom, he would write uh, the, the, uh, the th- three letters S D G, which I'm going to mispronounce it, but uh, stands for Soli Deo Gloria, uh, which in English uh, means for the glory of God or, or glory to God alone. So as he would compose a piece of music, he would he would label it for the glory of God. I'm writing this, I'm working for the glory of God. And that seems kind of romantic, it seems cool, because he's, he was writing great music, and we might just be serving people pizza or something. Uh, but whatever we're doing, whether it's, it's working sit in, in the workplace, or in the home, or in school, at the end of each day, we should be able to, to, to label our work for the glory of God. Um, so, uh, I think it's, yeah, so, <laughs> sorry. We should be able to, to do whatever we're doing for, for God's glory, uh, whether it seems insignificant or whether it seems significant uh, in this world. So, as we established at the beginning that, that, that God has, has blessed us, that he's redeemed us, he's, he's given us all the spiritual gifts in heaven, that he's done all these things for us, uh, I think it's, it's easy sometimes to lose our motivation for why we then are going to persevere in the Christian life and do these things, uh, live in accordance with the gospel. Um, and so I think the main thing that we need to realize, main, the main motivation, for me at least, is that God doesn't create rules uh, or instruction arbitrarily, that these instructions that he's giving us here are, are first for his glory, but also for our good. 
So that everything that God does, everything he does in the life of the believer, that is, he does for our good. And so, um, I've been a dad for about a year now, just over a year, been turned one uh, this month, and it's a crazy experience. Uh, but Ben's just getting to the age where he kind of knows right and wrong a little bit. He knows when he's doing uh, something he shouldn't be doing, and so and he's constantly trying to test Megan and I and our authority and constantly trying to kind of assert his authority over ours. And so he will be doing something like standing, standing by a wall, and there'll be a, an outlet there, and he'll try to, try to touch it. So Megan or I, I'll, you know, maybe I'll, I'll kind of go grab him, hold his arms, and, and tell him, Ben, you can't touch that, it's dangerous, don't touch it, and he'll kind of like give us a dirty look. And then I'll let him go, and then of course I'll go right back for it and, and try to touch it again. And so I'll, you know, I'll grab his arms, maybe hold him a little bit longer, and say, Ben, you can't touch that, it's dangerous, you might hurt yourself. And, uh, and he hates it when you hold his arms down. He just, either he'll just start crying, or he'll like, try to fight you and try to get let go. Um, but I do a lot of things probably poorly as a dad, but in that instance, I'm, I'm doing that because I, I love him, because I'm looking out for his good, and he has no idea why I'm doing it. He doesn't get that he's going to get hurt if he touches that. He doesn't understand the words that I'm saying, but uh, I'm not going to let him touch that outlet because I'm, I'm afraid it might hurt him. And so uh, this, is, this is why God has given us his word. He's given us this instruction. He's given us this, this, this way that we can uh, see life how it's, meant to be lived, and we can live according. And so, so God created the world in a certain way. He created marriage in a certain way. He created work in a certain way. Uh, he created raising children a certain way. And he, created, uh, he gave us this system for doing that well. And so uh, when we look at, at God's instruction here, it's not hoops to jump through. It's not a way to earn anything before God. It's not uh, like a boundary that if we if we live rightly in here, that God will be pleased with us. If we jump out of there, if we kind of mess up, then he won't be pleased with us. Um, we've established that God is pleased with, pleased with us. That There's nothing that we can do now. Um, as, as we trust Christ, there's nothing that we can do that makes God look uh, any more highly on us, uh, with any more delight, or any worse. That God, when he looks at you, looks at me, uh, he sees, sees Christ. He sees the beauty and perfection of Christ and not all the junk that's in our life. Um, so, sorry, I turned that over. <clears throat> so again, God doesn't create these rules arbitrarily. He, he does them for a reason. He does them for our good. Uh, I heard Tim Keller once say that God's word is your design. If we go against God, God's will, we go against ourselves. Uh, so if that makes sense, that, that uh, it seems like sometimes the selfish thing to do is to, is to ignore God and to do our own thing. But in reality, the most selfish thing we can do is to listen to God, to love this word, to read it, to know what it says, and to live by it, uh, because God has created uh, the world and, and for us to work this way. And so when he tells me as a husband that I need to lay down my life and sacrifice for my wife, um, I don't do that because I think I'm going to earn something, or I think because I need to do it because I'm a Christian. I, I do that because I know that God has created marriage in a certain way, and if I live that way, which I don't always, but I, I strive to, if I live that way, my marriage is going to be better. It's going gonna, it's gonna to work how it's supposed to work. And Megan and I are going to f- experience more peace and joy in our marriage if I live out my marriage as God has told me to live it out. And the same goes for work. Uh, that work is a blessing. It's been given to us by God as a blessing, and it's not a curse. And so I think we, we all need to examine our hearts of, of what do you think about work? Why do you, go to, why do you show up to work? What's your motivation to show up to work? So tomorrow morning or tomorrow evening, or whenever you go to work, uh, what's your motivation? Is it 
just to earn a paycheck, um, which money is, is good, money is a blessing, and we need to earn money. Um, and the second thing that I think a lot of people look at at work as just a, a ministry opportunity, which again, ministry is great. We need to, to take advantage. God has called us uh, to minister wherever we are. Um, but those, neither one of those can be our, our motivation. We have to uh, understand the nature of work that it's a good thing. And so I would challenge you to, to even examine your heart and, and how you feel about work. Do you, do you see your work as a blessing or do you see it as a necessary evil? So in, in all this stuff, in all these um, living the Christian life and believing the gospel and, uh, and then living out the implications of it, um, we will constantly, inevitably fail. Uh, and not always, but we will, on a regular basis, fail, um, which is okay because, because of Christ, because we have uh, Jesus who, although he was the master um, and Lord of everything, as it says in Philippians, he, he humbled himself to nothing, taking the form of a servant or a slave and taking our sins or taking our sins onto him and giving us his righteousness uh, and then uniting and reconciling all things under God. Um, so because of that, we're, we're free. We're free to rejoice. Um, we're free, to, free from the condemnation of sin and of man, as it talks about here, that, that we don't have to serve man anymore, uh, that we can, we can serve God alone. Uh, we're free to pursue the life that God's created for us. So as uh, uh, we don't have to pursue, we don't have to figure out what, what our life needs to look like, we can pursue what God has created for us, which is better than anything we could choose for ourselves. And we're free to be used by God as he establishes his kingdom in the world. Uh, so as he is, is, like Brian says, we're longing for Adventists, we're longing for all things to be, to be made new. Um, we, we can be used by God in this process through the church, uh, through the family, um, and then through work. So God is making things new uh, through our work. And so uh, you guys should be excited about, about being a part of that. Um, so we are going to end tonight, like we do every night, with communion, uh, rejoicing and celebrating um, uh, that we uh, are free from sin. We're free from the fear of man and sin. Uh, we're, we're free because of Christ's broken body, support out blood. Um, so if you guys will pray with me, uh, we will um, partake of communion together. Lord, we praise you tonight. Um, I pray that you would you would give all of us a, a love for your word, a love for um, what you've shown us, what you've revealed to us in your word, um, and let us live in line with it, Lord, for, for your glory and for our good. Um, let us believe the gospel of Christ. Um, I pray that that, that that would be the thing that transforms us, not our will, not trying harder, um, believing that you love us and you have our best. So uh, we say we love you and uh, pray in Jesus' name. Amen.